they all deal with unresolved childhood pain points. That's number one. And number two, our inability to sit with emotional discomfort. And because we can't sit with that discomfort, no matter what it is, we've trained ourselves at a very early age that, you know what, I'm not going to think about this. I'm going to, I'm just going to ignore it. And how do you do that? You find ways to distract yourself. Too much food, too much television, too much fantasy. Welcome to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. Thrilled you're with us again here today. We're continuing our series on renovating the heart of kingdom leaders, and you are a kingdom leader. If you have a concern for people's hearts, if you uh, love people around you, then you want to lead them into a thriving, abundant life that we have in Christ Jesus. We have with us today Dr. Eddie Caparucci, and he has an amazing ministry helping men, helping marriages. Uh, Some of it, what he does is helping people get set free from sexual addictions, uh, problems in their uh, thinking, problems in their marriage. Uh, several books he's written, called one called Going Deeper. The other one is Removing the Shame Label, label and Why Men Struggle to Love. Great titles. And um, you're going to enjoy the podcast today. At the end of uh, this podcast, Dr. Ed and I, even though we were uh, concluded the podcast, continued talking. We captured some of that conversation. And it was very rich, very impactful. And so we're going to add that as a special bonus to the podcast today. Uh, Stay tuned and watch this because I think you'll see some things that'll be uh, helpful, encouraging, and life-changing for you. We're here today with Dr. Eddie Caparucci. Am I saying that right, Caparucci? You are saying it perfectly. Perfectly. Perfectly, you're saying. That's from my 50... I'm assuming that's Italian. I'm half Italian. Is it? Um, yeah, my, my, my mom's side is the Crosso family, uh, and uh, grandfather came over on the boat from Italy, so we, <clears throat> we have some few things in common there, but uh, we're really honored to have you with us here today. Well, thank you, and I, I appreciate you uh, having me here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, well, thank you. We, we've started, uh, so our podcast covers a lot of different uh, theological areas, uh, psychological areas, um, leadership issues, uh, but more so lately, we've been delving into the soul care issues, the suke, the psychology of the soul, and um, doing a series called Renovating the Heart for Kingdom Leaders. Speaking of kingdom leaders being, it could be uh, uh, somebody who has to take care of their home household or a small group in a church, uh, uh, somebody who has some leadership at, at, at an office, or a pastor, but a little inclined more towards maybe pastoral leadership, missionary leadership as well. And uh, the reason we've been doing this for the past few months is uh, uh, at World Challenge Show, we've done these pastors' conferences all around the world, well over 100, and probably spoke to 100,000 different pastors. And um, one of the things that really caught my heart is, uh, as encouraging as that is, is to see people you know, learn from biblical truth. A lot of those pastors, as I'm sure you felt the same way when you've done seminars and conferences, those, you know, the, the, the real important time seemed to be you know, after you're done talking and you walk down stage and somebody walks up to you and says, now, then it gets real. You know, then they're like, hey, Garrick, I need to talk to you because you know, I'm, a, I'm a successful pastor. Our church has grown. We built a new building. But I come home and I snap at my wife and my kids tell me I'm distanced from them. Um, it's not working. There's got to be something more. Now, to me, that's, the, that's where the rubber hits the road. And so we've done this whole new series here in the last few months. And, and when I saw you were available to come on, I just thought, man, you'd be able to speak to these issues of, of, of the heart of people who uh, some are feeling very successful, but they have something that's blocking them. 
uh, others feel like a failure. They're they, they're they're so full of self-loathing and hatred and disappointment. Uh, they just they see others being successful and they're a failure. Uh, they're never enough, uh, uh, you know. And then uh, you know, so you have this this whole quagmire of different. Uh, difficulties. Uh, you, you tell us a little bit about your ministry before I ask you some specific questions, uh, knowing sort of this is where we're headed here today. Yeah, Gary, uh, my ministry is I am a excuse me a licensed professional counselor, and I'm certified in the area of treating sex and pornography addiction. And my wife and I are in this ministry together where I work with men, and I work exclusively with men in helping them to deal with their struggles. And my wife works with their wives who are dealing with the betrayal trauma that this disorder has caused. And then she also works with them to come back together to see how they can uh, reconciliate, but in a very different way than they ever had before. You know, we can't go back to the old marriage, we can't go back to the old, habit. We have to go somewhere else and new. So we've been in this ministry about 12 years. It was a God calling. This is my second career. Uh, I was a marketing and advertising executive for uh, almost 30 years. I was also a sex addict. I was a major womanizer, uh, which cost me two marriages because of it. And finally, after the second one, uh divorce where my wife was like my second wife was like come on let's see if we can work it work this out and i was like i can't there's something wrong with me and i don't know what it is and that's when i went and i sought help and back then sex addiction wasn't you know really something people talked about they were just starting to come into its own at that point with patrick Carnes introducing the whole concept of it so what I did, I went to a therapist who specialized in relationships. And there, what I found was I had an attachment disorder. So therefore, what I did was I, I was called an avoidant. So I have a wall up. So I never let everybody, anyone in really close to me. Now, I, I'm oblivious to all of this, Gary. I, I don't know this is what's going on. I think I'm just a skirt chaser and it's the way I've always been. But... At that doctor, what she taught me was the fact that when my father died when I was five and my mother had a nervous breakdown, I was shipped out to relatives who I didn't know. And I stayed there almost a year before we came back. And, and my mom and I and my two older sisters, well, my mom had to go off to work. My two older sisters had to watch a six-year-old. They didn't want to watch a six-year-old. You know, they wanted to watch American Bandstand. So it would always be, go to your room, go to your room, go to your room. So, I mean, I didn't have my first friend until I was almost 10 years old. So with that, the worldview that my inner child creates is this idea, the people who love you will leave you, the people who love you will disappoint you. So therefore, when I started, you know, dating at 16, I have one foot in and one foot out. All of that, all of that that I just said, leads us into meeting my third wife, Terry, who I've known for 25 years, been faithful to her the whole time, which you shouldn't have to brag, but it is the truth. <clears throat> and with that, she was a very godly woman. I've always been a Christian, but I was what I call a passive Christian. I went to church, threw my money in the collection pot, and I was done. Well, 
she really started to show me what did it mean to be in a true relationship with Christ. And I surrounded myself with many godly men uh, over a period of several years, started reading the Bible, which I'd never done before. And they started to be a transformation. And once that transformation took hold, God came and said, hey, guess what? Corporate America is no longer for you. I have something else for you. And he led me into the field of Christian counseling. Little did I know I was going to be working with men who were struggling with the same thing I did. But that's what's been happening. And that's what's happened over the last 12 years. And we have been so blessed with our ministry. But more importantly, we've been blessed because we get to see God at work every day. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that brilliant? When I hear you tell your story, you're you're, you're encapsulating a lot of very major issues. Um, a man or a woman struggling with uh, pornography or sexual sin or sexual brokenness. Uh, but then you're going immediately into your story. You're saying, you know, um, this is the fruit of what I'm facing, but there's some roots that are causing to feed that thing. And uh, and then, then you're moving on in your story saying also you met a group of men. So you're talking about community and how that helps as well. But let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, so so uh, a twenty-year-old guy who, or twenty-five-year-old guy who's addicted to pornography, and he's he's a Christian, so he's like, you know, he he looks at porn and then he cries and, and repents. I'm so sorry, Lord, but he's, you know, year two, year three, year five, year ten, and is and kind of still in the same addictions. Um, it seems like they're maybe they're dealing with. Uh, let me ask you this: What do you think they're dealing with, or what are they doing there? That is not setting them free. Uh, I just think of like moral behavioralism. Uh, uh, can can you give us some categories that that you've seen guys saying, like, "Well, I tried this and it's not working." Well, for the for most part, what most men will try is to try harder. Okay, that's number one. It's like you know what? I'm just going to give it up. I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm just going to walk away from it. That doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, rarely, rarely right. will work. The other thing they do is a lot of behavior modification. You know, I'm going to put that elastic band around my wrist and I'll snap it every time I have an urge. Over time, it doesn't work because see what we're dealing with when we come to a sex addiction, pornography addiction, it's not about sex. It's about, it's an intimacy disorder. Go back to me yeah. and what I explained with you, what I just explained. Mine wasn't the fact that, oh, well, I just wanted to be with all these other different women. It was the fact that I didn't trust women. And again, that's not something I, that was conscious. It was subconscious. So therefore, for men who want to um, end up healing, if you want to heal, you need to be able to dig deeper, to go deeper, to uncover what is at the root. What is the root cause of the problem that you have? And that's why for me, the big question is why? Why does sex have a stronghold on our life? And why do I think, feel, and do the things I do? Okay. And what do you, what do you discover in your, what would I, if I was talking to you, what would I begin to discover in my own heart as to the whys? Is it almost always the same why or do each of us have different whys? There's different whys. And it goes back to the inner child model the treatment of okay. sex addiction that I, I designed and created over the years. What I originally came up with before uh, became the inner child model was what are the nine reasons why men abuse sex? 
And there are things, and they're all emotionally based for the most part. Things like the unnoticed, they're unnoticed. The lack, the need for affirmation. They didn't have a lot of affirmation. The need for control. They grew up in a very chaotic environment and they didn't have a lot of control. Those who were early sexually stimulated or abused. That's another category. There's also the spiteful child. This is a child who felt that he was um, never treated fairly. Life is not fair. The weak and inferior child. Okay, they were the people who were taught that, you know what, there's something wrong with you. You you are not like other boys. You're, there's some, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. So with all of them, that, that's some of them that I had, the nine that were created. But they all deal with unresolved childhood pain points. That's number one. And number two, our inability to sit with emotional discomfort. And because we can't sit with that discomfort, no matter what it is, we've trained ourselves at a very early age that you don't want. I'm not going to think about this. I'm going to, I'm just going to ignore it. And how do you do that? You find ways to distract yourself. Too much food, too much television, too much fantasy. And that you take into your teen and adult world. And you keep doing those behaviors over and over again. You start messing with the dopamine, uh, you know, hormones in your brain, neurochemicals in your brain. Now what you have is the, you know, recipe for an addictive behavior. Wow. So nine, those are, I'm glad you mentioned those nine causes because that's, I think all of us could find ourselves in at least one, if not more of those categories and therefore being almost like, you know, I, I always have believed that the, you know, the evil one and, and, you know, being who he is, is the, the, the one who accuses the brethren, you know, those things, you know, real events happened in our childhood to cause us to feel insignificant or unloved or out of control. Uh, but I always have felt like the, the enemy just loves to highlight that and starts accusing you. You are nothing. You're worthless. You're, you're unloved. And then you, you know, then you see a picture of a beautiful woman who looks like she's going to love you in a, in a page of a magazine or online. Uh, you know, and she's not obviously she's not going to be able to not a capacity to do that. But you that that emotionally you feel like uh, that's what I'm looking for. That will fulfill the emptiness of my soul. So those accusations, and then we start agreeing with them. We say like, yeah, Satan says I'm nothing. I am nothing. Uh, just he just kind of grooms us almost, sets us up. Oh, absolutely. See, what you're talking about is what I call the core emotional trigger. Because each kid has his own unique emotional triggers. And it goes along the line that you're talking about. They are those negative narratives that have been fed to us, whether through people or events in our life, whether directly or indirectly. And they, we, we start to believe them. And they become part of us. Yes, you were talking about pastors. I know one thing with uh, people in clergy, the one that I've dealt with many of them over the years, the one negative narrative I hear quite often from them is I'm a fraud. If people really knew who I was, you know, if I, if I was really exposed, I would lose the whole congregation. Now, yeah. it's not, not true. It's not real. Right. But it's the way they feel. And those feelings, mm -hmm. which are more in a line of 
adolescent or pre-adolescent emotion are so wow. powerful and they cripple people. And those mm. are the things that I work with my client once they identify the children to find, okay, what are those core emotional pain points? Then what we do, we take them and we put them to truth. Okay, these are the lies you believe about yourself, but I want to put them to truth. And what is that truth? What does God say about these lies? Yeah. How does God see you versus how you see you? Yeah, <clears throat> the problem with that, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> if you, like I've told guys before, like, you know, you are the beloved of God. Uh, he, you're the apple of his eye. You are important. You're, uh, you are worthy. And they just they can't buy it, you know what I mean? So, so there has to be some kind of, like you talk about the inner child, the healing of the. Uh, do you, I, I suppose you have to unpack that quite a while when you're doing the counseling before you get to the like, all of a sudden just tell them like, hey, no, you're not unworthy. You are the, you know. Oh, ab- absolutely, Gary, you're right. And so tell tell us how you uh, tell us a. Tell us about the the inner child. What 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 do we need to discover about that? And and then you also talked about the the uh, I'm not sure the phraseology is, but it's like kind of a, the core wound that you might have. Uh, can you talk about both of those? Yeah, the the inner child, our inner child, at least in my model, is stuck in a time warp. He's back there where you know we are between the age of a four and fourteen, and he surrounded by all of the hurts and pain that we went through during those years. And and there's a big difference between suffering from a wound when you're a child and being able to resolve it by having someone there to help you or and the difference between having that wound and there's no one there to help you resolve it. So therefore, it be continued to manifest, to continue to trouble our inner child. And that's why I said when we talk about the idea of sitting with emotional discomfort, that is one of the things that our parents are supposed to teach us. So, for example, I go next door and, you know, my, my friend, you know, Billy, he breaks my Nerf gun. And I come home to Dad and I'm saying, Dad... You know, Billy broke my gun. And I'm hoping that dad is going to walk me through this process. Say, yeah, you know what? That kind of stuff happens at times. Understand that you're upset. You should be upset. No, that's not what I get. Instead, what I get is, what did I tell you about lending your toys to somebody else? What is the matter with you? How stupid Mm -hmm. are you? You know how much that thing cost me? You are the most irresponsible little boy I've ever met. You know what? You disgust me. Get out of my face and go to your room. Mm. Now this kid goes to his room, and now it's not it's not just the distress of the losing the toy, but now knowing that my father is disappointed with me, he's angry with me, and this is all my fault. I'm to blame for everything. Right. But what do I do with this pain? Well, again, I don't have a lot of worldly experiences and I'm more emotionally based in my thinking than I am cognitively based. So I come up with one solution. That's what I said before. I won't think about it. And how do I not think about it? I find ways to distract myself. And that's what happens with these wounds. And this is what's going on with our, our inner child. 
what happens is that their event happened today in our lives, and he correlates it with something from the past. And when those two worlds collide with us, which again, we may not even be aware of what's going on, that the kid had pulled up something, but when that happened, our level of emotional discomfort or distress increases dramatically. And with that, I can't sit with pain. Remember, I've been trained. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to run off and do something destructive. And that destructiveness may not be that I engage in a addictive behavior, but maybe I become very angry with people. Maybe I become very ornery. Maybe I just go withdraw. There's a lot of other mood changes that happen that will impact us as an individual. So those are all because of, again, the bottom line, the unresolved childhood pain point, and we're not able to sit with the discomfort mm-hmm. so that we're able to resolve them. From what I hear you saying is there's an event that takes place in our life or a series of events that are repeated time and time again that emotionally builds some type of uh, belief system in our mind. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll just, uh, or a pattern of relating to others. Uh, or I'm gonna withdraw. Uh, you had talked about that. You're an avoidance, so you 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 hid from people, and you were probably lonely or isolated. And then out of that comes, there, there, that's so. There's a need there then, uh, an emptiness, a longing, a desire. Uh, I'm lonely. I desire something. So that's is that where the addictions come from then? Well, the addiction come from. Uh, the habit that you have of, again, I can't sit with the pain, so I run off to distract myself. Let, let's say food. I'm going to use food to comfort myself. Well, what happens is, as I'm eating that food to begin with, now what's happened is my dopamine levels in the brain, again, dopamine is a neurochemical, it's a feel-good chemical, it starts to increase higher than what it should be in my brain. Over time, if I continue that pattern where I always run to food to soothe myself, the brain is expecting a certain level of dopamine. So now the day comes when I'm upset and I'm distraught and I don't go run for that food, but yet there's something within me that has this major urge, this major temptation, or this desire that I just can't shut off. I can't move away from it to do what? To go to the refrigerator or the, or the cupboard to find something. And that's where the addiction starts to take place. It's when we continue to do that behavior over and over again. And what we're doing, we're messing with the neurochemical balance within our brain. And then we become, you know, we're enslaved to that. Thanks for watching this episode. And as we promised to you, here's some added bonus material that has some great content you're going to be blessed by. Well, I can go on for an hour and just talk about the destructive nature of pornography. Yeah. It, it destroys individuals. It destroys relationships. It destroys society. We have men as young as 18 who are now popping Viagra 18. because they have a problem having sex with women because they have to have the fantasy running in their head and they've also damaged their their penis yeah. by their chronic masturbation. My goodness. As young as 18. 18. I mean, 
before it used to be nobody suffered from erectile dysfunction unless you had diabetes mm -hmm. or some other vascular disease before till you were in your 50s yeah. and, but, and we most of the time we thought it was more of a psychological aspect which it, it really yeah. is but in these cases now we're dealing with people who these young men who've been watching porn since they were 10 11 12 you know with all the masturbation they don't know what to do when they get in front of a woman they're afraid to get in front of women and even if they do they'll do something that is so stupid i heard a story uh, a couple weeks ago young couple they're about they've been dating for about six months they're 17 18 they've never dated before uh and they decide they're going to be sexual bad idea but they decide they're going to be sexual well in the middle of sex he reaches down and starts choking her. Wow. She thinks he's trying to kill her. She throws him off, runs out of the room. He finally chases her down. He goes, what's the matter? What are you doing? He goes, what are you doing? Why are you trying to kill me? He goes, I'm not killing you. He goes, I'm just adding that. Isn't that what you want in sex? Wow. And she goes, what in the world gave you that idea? And he goes, well, it's all over in porn. You see it all over the mm. place. You know, because porn is moving more and more into the genre of humiliating, abusing, and degrading women. Mm. And why? Because one of, one of the porn producers made a quote about it. He said, it's because what men want. Wow. Because guess what? Just looking at naked women is not enough. Yeah. They need to see more. They need to see different. Yeah. And it's getting worse. At worst, that's at worst. That's atrocious. It's hard to believe there's there's a I guess there's a movement now called being pro porn. Um, you know, so so young people are saying like, oh, I'm not fighting this like an addiction. I'm you know, I'm willingly engaging in this, and you know, then how that objectifies women. You know, I think a guy addicted to porn is probably going to have a hard time treating a woman without being misogynistic or without being. Mm -hmm you know, idolizing them or wanting them to serve them, so to speak, uh, you know, so, yeah, because I think right. what you act out in porn is probably is broader than just the porn, the sexual event. It's, it's probably that's just showing the way you treat uh, other people, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, you treat them as objects right. and stuff. And so, you know, you, you're setting yourself up. For, that's what we're teaching. And then, you know. The, the, that, that's what we're teaching a whole generation. We're teaching them to not see people, yeah. but to see objects. objects yeah. And they're not going to just see them as objects when it comes to sex. They're going to see them as objects when it comes to any way of engaging with them. So therefore, if you're trying to compromise with these people or try to carry on rational conversation, they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Because they're going to be looking at it and saying, I just want what I want. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you need. Man. Because I don't care about your needs. Yep. Well, so it, it, it's, you got Genesis, it's very, very sad. Yeah. You got Genesis 1, or no, Genesis 2 and 3 there where, you know, Satan comes into the garden as a serpent and it says he was more crafty. You know, and it's it's so crafty that, you know, it's back when we were kids, if we were going to look at porn, we'd have to go try to find a magazine from somewhere, you know, the gas station that sold them or something. and. You know, now these poor kids, right. man, it's just, they can, they can, uh, you know, get a, I had a, I had yeah. a friend tell and parents and parents who aren't, parents who aren't monitoring it. Yeah. Parents have to put more time and energy into assuring that their kids are safe. Yeah. And they're not. No, they're not. And, uh, and the horror stories that are out there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have a friend who is, um, 
he was a heroin addict for many, many years, and Jesus set him free, and he's been um, preaching and helping at Teen Challenge Drug Rehab Program now. And um, he said, like, his, his telephone for him and pornography is like having a bag of heroin and a needle on his bedstand. It's like, it's right there. Like, how do I not, you know, I, I have a, a natural right. pull towards using drugs and, and you know, and yet— you know, drugs aren't as easy to find as it is to find pornography. So it's it is again, it's a crafty, crafty thing. It's it's yeah. uh, unfortunately it's going to keep you busy. Uh, that, I, I hope that didn't sound wrong, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it's too bad you couldn't find another career because this one this one didn't exist. You know, the the problem that you have to deal with. Oh no, well, yeah, one day it won't. Yeah, you know, amen. one day what I'm, you know, we're heading to revelations at some point. It's coming. Yeah, we're moving in that right. We're moving in the direction. Amen. But in the meantime, you're 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 bringing some kingdom, uh, you know, heaven heaven on earth because that you know when you get set free from that stuff, it is it is heaven and it's heaven to your spouse, heaven to your family to see uh, you know that new creation that you have in Christ. So. Uh, well, thank you, my friend. But again, Joey, he gets all the glory. Yeah, I agree with you. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ.